Testing, testing, testing. Can you hear me? This is Audible Autism. Hello, everybody. This is Audible Autism. Interesting people and interesting facts. Um, this is Odd Eye here, your host. Today, we have, as far as I'm concerned, a very special guest. <laughs> somebody who, somebody who is, I think, a very interesting person, but also has a wide rate of interest, but also I'd like to say I am quite the fan of. So I'm very honest to have them. It is Alex, who some might know if you're into streaming from the Retro Pals. So, Hello, sir. Pleasure to have you on here. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. I am, oh, I'm, I'm blushing a little. I'm, I'm so glad y'all are excited to talk to me. I'm excited to talk to y'all. I, uh, I don't, I don't got, I don't have many opportunities to just go on about being autistic, but I'm really well, looking forward to it. <laughs> that's what we do. And we, as you, you said you listened to a couple's episodes before. So you've seen that we cover a variety of things in terms of the autistic experience. Although we're Britain focused mm-hmm. in terms of some of the subject matter, but we hope that's able to translate across to people who live across the world because that's our thing. Oh yeah, there's definitely some universe, universal yeah, universality to a lot of the experiences. So no, it's I yeah, it definitely does translate. Okay, so um, as I've said, you are one half of the Retro Pals, which is you and your your husband Danny, uh, mm-hmm. who has history, has history in terms of like um, the retro gaming community and finding unreleased games and things like that. So, for those that don't know, how would you describe your position or your job in terms of what you two do together? Uh, well, um, what we do is uh, three times a week when we're feeling when we're not sick, but uh, three times a week we stream uh, our show, which is called Retro Pals. And it's a it's a Twitch stream, but I'd like to think that we're more like I don't know if you have it over there in the UK, but um, in America, we have a big tradition that's kind of fallen by the wayside of public access television, which okay. is a very yeah, it's like a community type of oriented TV where anybody could just go on TV and have a call-in show and talk and things like that. While we are streamers and we do a lot of like, you know, we go over uh, retro games and things like that. I think that we also pattern ourselves less on the traditional just like five hour stream of someone just playing a game and, you know, sometimes talking with the audience and stuff and more like a planned show where we plan out uh, what we're going to do, what we want to touch on, what we want to talk about. And it's more of like a very interactive, very low, but very low key, low stress, uh, public access type call in show compared to like, say, uh, someone like I don't want to I'm, I'm trying to think of someone who I enjoy, like, like Macaw. I like Macaw. I love Macaw. His stuff is great, um, but a lot of his stuff is it feels more spontaneous than what we do, which is okay. much more planned. All right. For those that don't know, um, Alex is referring to a streamer from Australia by the name of McCall45, who 
let's just say some of the depths he digs in in terms of games is some of the most bizarre things I've ever come across. <laughs> it is. It's wild. And this isn't to say that he doesn't plan things out. He very much obviously does. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically, we try to, pa- I, I specifically, because I, uh, Danny has the history with retro games. I have a history with doing uh, community theater with my family. So I have more of a live live production history. So that's that's where my focus comes into the whole mix. And also, I got to say, shout out to everyone streaming on their own. That is so hard. I am so glad I get to do it with Danny. It makes it so much easier to divide the labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way the labor is divided... Oh, yeah. Uh, the way the labor is divided is I do tech stuff. Um, I do the whole, like, you know, I change, I, I change the name of the titles of the games. He plays the games. He talks. He has the knowledge. I have the more interactive keeping like i'm like the tech guy and he's like the actor basically but we're okay. still both there and co-hosts and stuff like that yeah 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 i that i would definitely say the 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 not only does the, the the structure is definitely there in terms of your streams but also the i feel like you two your the personalities of you two really shine through as well <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We we try to do that because mm. we're just you know we're be- in in real we've always we've been best friends for gosh since the live journal era like in two thousand and three two thousand and four wow. when we first met yeah so we've we've uh we've had a long time to just we're like we we play off each other very well it's okay. it's, it's yeah All so right. I'm glad that shines through okay well. <laughs> We usually start off with a question that we like to ask our guests when they come on. So to ask you, Alex, just to give an idea, I thought it'd be good to go over that intro in terms of who you are. But um, Mm -hmm. as we like to ask our guests, um, how did you come to learn that you was autistic? Oh, well, it's a long story. But basically, um, I am... Uh, I, I have to, I'm one of those terrible self-diagnosed people, but hear me out before you make any judgments. <laughs> um, uh, what happened is, because first of all, in America, it's, it's prohibitively expensive for me to get an official test. But after my last round with my last therapist that I had and things like that, I am very much more assured that no, this is, this is me. Um, one of the things is that my entire life I've been very different and, I've been very literal, this obnoxiously so. There's a fun family anecdote where I my mom told me that I was being too literal and I told her I'm not literal, I'm big, because I took that term literal to be literal as little. And um I've always been very, very literal, while I've also had uh learning difficulties in some areas, while other areas I have extremely exceeded, like with language and things like that. So, but I also would have issues understanding things and situations, just a lot of the almost just, just the communication stuff, understanding people, things like that. And I always felt very alienated, very strange and thing and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I started going online in 1996 and um, so way back in the day and around, gosh, two, three. 2005, six, I started reading more blogs from more uh, autistic people. And in 2008, uh, I actually found a blog 
by an autistic uh, person who also has dyscalculia, which I was never officially diagnosed with, but I have it. There is no way in hell I don't have it. <laughs> I am constantly transposing numbers. Even if I try my best, I have to like, you know, it's very, it, it would, my, my current therapist was like, there is no way you don't have this. So I, I believe <laughs> that, but um, no, I started reading this blog and I was in a, I, I, I was with Danny at the time. I was in with someone else and it was very, it was a bad situation. And this person would, uh, would kind of belittle me for these traits that I just, I had been trying to like beat out of my, not literally beat, but I've been trying to get out of myself for my entire life. And then I found a blog by uh, someone who was autistic and had my issues. And I started seeing things in there that they, their behaviors, what they were talking about, things they had confusion with. And I was just like, this seems very familiar to me. And so unbeknownst to the person I was with at the time, I started reading a lot about autism from other autistic people. I actually, I I ended up uh, escaping this person, thank God, and um, living with a, funnily enough, another autistic trans man. And it was the first time in my life I was able to understand someone else, you know? And the more I read, the more I saw, the more I was like, oh, this would make a lot of sense if this was what I had. And I've been trying to get, you know, a diagnosis, this and that, but it's just too expensive. But it was like reading that blog was just, just back in the day is just, um, I don't know. Uh, well, screw it. He's going to find out anyway, probably. Uh, it's uh, the guy's named Code Man, who I, I think he actually watches the show. So hi, Code Man. Uh, your blog was very formative to me and uh, figuring out that I was like, oh, this th- these things that I'd been trying to to run away from to hide to never show anybody that I even would make fun of traits in me that I would make fun of other people for having those are the traits of those are autistic traits so maybe I'm autistic and so what I did was I started to try to function and navigate as if these innate traits were not things to be taken away from me that they were just things that I could navigate with by understanding that they are inbuilt and not things to, you know, take out of me, like being extremely detail oriented, being not understand, you know, instead of just pretending that I understand other people, stopping, asking them to clarify, being more open about that and just telling people what my issues were regarding communication, things like touch. I just despise touch. Like, don't, don't, don't touch me. I hate it. (laughs) And, you know, things like that. And yeah, like certain things are just textures. Oh my God, I have such texture issues. It is just like, and so what I did was instead of trying to conform to everyone else, when I started to navigate the world in like 2011, under the assumption that I had this, I found my relationships with other people improving, my mental health improving. I found myself able to, for the first time in a while, I was able to sustain a job until my back started hurting me too much and I had to quit and uh, things like that. And so while I don't think that, of course, you know, I, there's maybe a doctor will come up and be like, uh, actually, it's just that you suck or something, which I don't doubt, which I doubt. <laughs> but I have found that by navigating as if I have autism and instead of attempting to, again, change myself, but be open and honest with my difficulties, what I can and can't do, I am functioning, basically. I can... 
I am not const. I, I still have issues and things like that, but I'm very much more able to keep friendships, keep, yeah. you know, r- r- things like that. And so that's why as much as I know that there are folks who do not believe that you can self-diagnose, it has to be from a professional. I have personally found by working under the assumption that I am, and given that a lot of my traits do seem to completely line up, especially with textures, oh my God, that I I can't see it. If it's not, then I don't know why it would work so well to, with what I'm doing, navigating the world in the way that I am. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can understand that. I think so. I'm just trying to take that in because there's a there is a lot in there and some of it I definitely can understand. The detail orient thing and also your issues with texture is definitely something I can identify with in my own way because I don't know, like. Take for me, sorry to say this, listeners, but me being in my bedroom recording, there's a lot of carpet mm-hmm. and soft areas, and those are kind of textures I tend to prefer. Whereas mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but sometimes hardwood surfaces or like sitting on a leather sofa, I never exactly feel quite comfortable with in certain places. I try to, but it's just, it doesn't exactly click with me. But the detail thing really sticks with me because, and see if you understand where I'm coming from, mm-hmm. as far as my brain works, I have a fit. it's strange, but I have a thing where I tend to understand complex ideas and situations better than I do really simple things. Mm, God, yes. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. Yes. I, I I do identify with that a lot where I will struggle with something that's like, it's the little things that people should, you know, like, I don't know, for me, I'll be honest, it's hard to shower and I have equipment where I can sit and do it, but it's just the textures feel. And then, but understanding wise, I'll say, um, when it comes to certain subjects, like if it's a very simple thing, like how to do like a very small thing, I will just, I can't get it. I will read it and over and over again and not get it. But when it comes to complex systems, I am fascinated and I can talk for hours about them, but it's yeah, little things. I just, I get very, I can get very stuck on, even though everyone else seems to understand it perfectly, yeah. but I'll, I'll look at something very complicated and, and people won't understand it, but I'll, I'll get it. It's very weird (laughs) it is very very weird give you an example of something i was doing earlier before the stream um i have been as you know since we're all in the midst of this pandemic Mm -hmm. i have decided i've been taken in and been like i'm gonna sit in and just like you know see what films i can find stuff that i've been interested in and stuff that i've wanted to watch and you know just find a way to use my time in something that i feel interesting Mm -hmm. So I have been watching this film from a Japanese director called Konishikawa, but called um, An Actor's Revenge, which is sort of this revenge story, but in the style of like a kabuki play kind of thing. And the lead actor at the time, it was his 300th role that he did. And he's playing both roles. He's, like this guy who's meant to be this thief who is like the narrator and he's a very kind of laddish kind of person. 
But then the character who's like the center of the story is this actor who plays, according to Kabuki, it's a me- I forget the term, but it's a male actor who plays female roles. So his mannerisms mm. are often sort of very restrained and, mm-hmm. um, you know, very polite and soft-spoken. But as this is a person who's getting revenge on three people who drove his dad into ruin and made him kill himself at a young age, he's sworn revenge. So he's incredibly calculating at his core. And that, I get it. I understand it. I might lose track of the names and everything, but it's incredibly clear to me that I understand this and I get what the reference is because I also read a lot. You understand with a wide frame of reference, you're like, you're able to connect the dots together. And I understand it very, very well. Then the flip side is of something that's simple that I just, I don't understand it. Well, it's more so because friends of mine like it and I just don't understand how they do. Alex, are you familiar with a film called Den of Thieves? No, but it does sound familiar. Okay. Den of Thieves is a heist movie, one of those armored car heist movies, and it has the guy who played Cheddar Bob in 8 Mile. Mm -hmm. It's got 50 Cent in it. And it also has Gerard Butler. Mm-hmm. Alex, I'm going to be really honest with you. I think this is a genuinely terrible <laughs> movie. <laughs> and Gerard Butler, especially in it, I think it's kind of accepted that he's not very good. But in this one, even by his standards, is pretty, pretty bad. The best way I can describe the movie is like, imagine it's made by guys who you could clearly tell really, really liked Heat, but instead of... <laughs> Al Pacino and De Niro and those guys, they're doing it with Gerard Butler and 50 Cent. <laughs> oh, no. And Gerard Butler is meant to be one of my friends who's a certain type of cinephile is like, asked me, weren't you in awe or spellbound by his performance? I'm like, no, I found it utterly repellent. <laughs> certain scenes I thought was really embarrassing, like after he gets divorced by his wife for being an idiot and he goes in a drunken stupor to go and see his daughter at her school, which like, yeah, good luck being able to see your, to go and say hi to your child at the fence in this day and age. (laughs) And then after that happens, it cuts to him sitting in the car crying. And I'm just thinking to myself, can we move this along, please? This is just embarrassing. (laughs) You've given me nothing to feel any kind of sympathy for this man. Why am I supposed to feel sorry for him now? And like I've said, I've got friends who are like, this is good, actually. And I'm just, I don't get it. I'm perplexed. Yeah, no, I, I I get you there. And, you know, it's funny. Another issue I have now that I'm I'm actually, y'all talking about this, remind me of other traits that I've been trying to, I've tried to hide, but I definitely have. Face blindness. It makes a lot of, it is why I really prefer animation to live action sometimes, because I can't, sometimes I cannot tell anybody apart. I'm like, Y'all look the same. I'm sorry. Y'all look like the same person to me. (laughs) And that is just, well, that's a frustrating trait. I find that just being honest with just being like, at one point I was at a a meeting for something I was doing and someone looked, I thought that they recognized me, but I didn't recognize them. And I just straight up told them, I was like, yeah, I was like, you look familiar too, but I have face blindness. So I don't know if I've met you before, (laughs) which is an embarrassing thing to say, you know, to be like, I don't know if I've met you, even if you've met, but 
I find that just being upfront, being like, instead of just trying to, you know, do the whole like uh, thing that non-autistic people do where they're like, oh yeah, you know, they just kind of go with it, even if, you know, they don't know, which is a trait I do. Yeah. I just straight up tell them, I'm, I'm just honest now. I'm just like, I'm sorry. I, I have face blindness. I don't, and my memory sucks. <laughs> So I don't know if I've met before. Yes, I also am with you there. My short-term memory is terrible. Oh, God, same. It's so bad. Mm. It's so bad. But no, I, face blindness, that's funny because, well, we've got a bunch of people on our side who've been doing work into looking at aphantasia and face blindness as well. And we've had some interesting findings as a result of that. Mm. But it does happen. And it's one of those struggles where you end up running into embarrassing situations that you don't intend to get into. Yeah. But trying to maneuver through them is especially a problem. Also, I should say, for me, I'm dyspraxic. so hand-eye coordination has always been a problem with me from going back to when I was trying to tie my shoes. Oh, God. But especially when it came to things like sports. Mm-hmm. And if you were to look at me, you would think, oh, this is a solid, you know, young black guy with a, you know, broad shoulders. People think that you're going to be a beast in this area. But then they do things like, say it's football and they stick you in goal. And it is a nightmare Sometimes you are lucky if you say if you stop a ball getting in the goal by hitting in your shins or whatever. You know, I've never looked into dyspraxia because I definitely do have uh, eye hand coordination issues. I cannot do a dance routine, which doesn't seem like an issue you'd have, but I want like that would ever you know be an issue that would come up in your life that would cause you issues. It's a weird way to put it. But um, one time uh, in high school, I was in this one Spanish class and. Part of our grade was doing a dance number. I shit you not. Uh, and because I was just absolutely terrible, like in my the rest of my group, they didn't care that I couldn't get the dance right. But the Spanish teacher was for just absolutely furious. I couldn't get a dance number right. And I'm like, this is Spanish. Why do I need to know how to do this like one, two pivot kick for the Spanish class, you know, and and yeah, no, it's it's wild, and and I get you where people look at you and they have expectations about what you can and can't do, and because I think I've kind of masked my whole life. Whenever my issues come up, like if I am overwhelmed sensory wise, and that does happen to me, especially it of like you know wrestling shows. I like wrestling. I've gone to some indie wrestling shows. The loud noises and all the people can be very distressing. And so instead of just being overwhelmed and melt, you know, I, I, I don't know how y'all feel about the term melting down, but I like to, you know, I'm overwhelmed and I react accordingly. What I do is I'll take some space and, you know, go to the bathroom, just be alone until I don't feel like I'm going to do that anymore. But it's, it's a thing where people look at you and they assume that you're not, you know, you don't have those issues. And when you need, and when they do come up, like you feel like you're going to melt down. So you, you leave the situation or things like that, or you need someone to repeat something a bunch of times because you have an audio processing disorder or something like that. Mm -hmm. the, The reaction you get, because they, they just, they don't expect that from you. And then it feels like they you almost don't want to ask for those things for me at least because it almost feels like with some people once they know that then they start treating you differently instead of just being like oh yeah go ahead take the time yeah like i uh i wasn't i wasn't uh seeking treatment for my my mental uh i was i was seeking mental illness treatment in houston back in 2011 
And at one point um, I was at this building. It was also the building where they would service the mentally disabled and autistic. And I was coming down from uh, the, and the floor we shared was where the services were. I was coming downstairs from uh, seeing my psychiatrist and getting a uh, medication and a volunteer came up to me and she saw that I had a bunch of buttons from uh, this one web comic I liked that had cats on it. And I, uh, she came up to me and she, uh, had, she was a staff member, staff volunteer. And she was just like, Oh, Oh, cool buttons. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is from a web comic I like. And then she's just started. She saw that I, I was, she saw that I had a sticker on that said I was up on that one floor. And then she started to baby talk me. I want you to know that at this time of, of I was 26, 27 at the time. And you've heard me talk about things. I'm, I am, I am not, I'm a fairly intelligent person aside from my issues. And she was just like, wow, that's so great that you like kitty cats. And I'm just like, I am going home and reading Umberto Echo. Could you not talk? I'm like, I'm thinking this and I'm like, and the thing is, it's really hard to navigate that situation without being like, screw you. Don't talk down to me. You have to be like, you know, you're expected to just go along with it, not make waves and stuff. So I was like, yeah, yeah I really do like yeah. cats. They are, you know, and I, I really enjoy this webcomic artist. And she's like, that's so great. And you're just like, I'm not baby. I'm not a child, you know? And it's, it's that, yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah. That's also, I think that links into the next question. That's also an issue I kind of run into sometimes is just, the question of how you exactly you explain it to people in terms of mental health issues, particularly mm-hmm. with autism, mm-hmm. because you worry exactly, as you said, if people are going to start baby talk to you or they're going to shield themselves and worry that, oh God, this is, I don't understand it. I'm terrified as what this means and what this might lead to. Mm-hmm. So it's best if I just keep my distance. So then this won't ruin anything that we have together. Mm-hmm. Which um, I don't know if this is the best segue, but um, we've had quite a few guests on our podcast who have identified differently, both cis and um, we've had a few couple non-binary guests, mm-hmm. different sexualities, and um, you being a trans man yourself, would you say there's been any kind of links between, I guess you could say, your transness and your identity with <laughs> being autistic uh you know yes i i uh it's weird because god in specific there is a lot of uh rhetoric about how in transphobic circles about because there is a lot of overlap in the autism community and people who are identified as autistic and and transgender non-binary gender variant people and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like and a lot of that will lead people to be to say, especially transphobic people, that well, uh, maybe being transgender then is not an innate condition. It is thusly a condition of being autistic, and making someone transition is just indulging their mental uh, illness. Which shut up and uh, no, basically, um, neither of those are true. And there is a lot of contention in the community. Uh, not not in the autism and trans and, and transgender community, but in communities outside of those communities, looking in at us and seeing us as not authentic. Right. And I've had that worry too, uh, because especially there's a lot of 
uh, in America, uh, I don't know if y'all use the DSM in uh, uh, the UK, but in America, there is a lot of, uh, if you're, there are certain disorders that are kind of um, specifically diagnosed for women, uh, quote unquote, because I don't consider myself a woman, and that they are also, di- that, that, that it's like, I know one, borderline personality disorder um, which I was diagnosed with. And then after I came out, the doctors were like, no, that was a bad diagnosis. They just put that on you because you're autistic and gender variant. And I'm like, well, that's great. But this disorder, basically, part of it is having uh, symptoms, uh, quote unquote, is that you do not identify with your born gender, your gender variant. You, you, you know, that's, which is weird that there is an alternate, you know, uh, thing that they diagnose women with when they feel, you know, there's other symptoms, of course, but that, that being one of the main symptoms, it's very interesting because I think a lot of people who are, you know, they're not women, but they are seen as women by society, that they can get bad, you know, they can kind of be told, well, you're, you know, because you're gender variant and because you have these symptoms that could also be diagnosed as autistic, you, you don't actually have those symptoms, which is weird. You you have this other disorder, which I, I having been, having, re, having been told recently that it was a misdiagnosis after, you know, the doctor was like, there's no, there's, this is just, yeah, it's, it's weird because, you know, the more I transition and the more because I'm, I'm two years HRT, happy transversary to me, um, the more I transition and the more I'm on HRT, the more comfortable I am in my own skin and the more the, the less that I have of these other mental health symptoms. And it just makes me feel like, no, you're not quote unquote, indulging my mental illness by letting me transition, mm-hmm. you're making me have less of the negative symptoms. I am so much happier. I still have, you know, I'm still autistic. That's not going away. But mm-hmm. I have found a lot of this easier to navigate now that I've, I take testosterone because I have so fewer other because it's removed a lot of underlying anxieties when i see my body i'm able to engage how i feel more and be a lot of the ways i would cope with things things feeling bad text feeling bad was aside from blaming myself and getting mad at myself was to just ignore my body completely disassociate from it constantly just not even acknowledging it's there and now that i'm acknowledging that my body exists i can acknowledge what parts of my body's existence like you know, texture sensitivities, light sensitivities, sometimes color sensitivity, sound sensitivity, sensitivities that I have, I can recognize them now because I'm not ignoring my body. I'm understanding my body. Of course, of course. I can't personally relate to those experiences as far as being a cisgendered black person. But I think that's incredibly enlightening because it's sometimes not a perspective that people often hear But I think what's interesting is I hear the similarities in terms of you being better to understand yourself and feel comfortable in terms of you as a person and not disassociate. It's like when I've been around in certain autistic circles, one of the things they really try to encourage is the idea that, no, there's nothing wrong with the way you think. If anything, it's the neurotypicals around you who are probably more the weird ones. For sure. Because you know exactly... Things that people feel would say, oh, you're being fussy about. And also the autistic trait of like, if you don't want to do something, you don't want to do it. It's more, <laughs> yeah. you, you know what you like, you know what you don't like, you un- you understand yourself. It's more, 
some people who kind of flip-flop on certain things and not being, I guess, honest with themselves or whatever. They're more the ones who are strange. And it's not in terms of being literal. Yes, sometimes telling it how you feel it is does land you in hot water sometimes but yeah it's a way of being honest with people and it's a way of you know it's a way of just keeping it mm-hmm. keeping it there and keeping things grounded especially if you're seeing something that you don't consider to be the right thing to do or what is going on exactly yeah yeah uh, for sure. And um, for me, it's just I found that the more honest I am about myself and with other people like, yeah, some people aren't going to like that. And I just, you know, I got to you just got to deal with that. But I, I find that, yeah, just especially with the, the neurotypicals being wrong, it's like I'm I, I'm lucky enough that I most of the people in my life are you know, maybe it's depression, maybe it's anxiety. I I know a lot of people who have mental health and other issues. And I find that it's, they're not all, you know, going to be okay about autistic stuff. But I, I found that talking with them and being just open with them, like, yeah, I will definitely just sh- my, mm-hmm. my foot, I, I will say the a, a way that I feel that maybe not be an appropriate uh, thing to discuss at the time or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'll navigate around it. But at the end of the day, it's just like, what's weird about this is, is, is it weird what I said, or is it weird that societal rules say that I'm not allowed to acknowledge, say that this thing that I'm watching is not good. Like, like, you know, like, like little things like that, like in, in, um, and in, in I can only speak about America right now, and I, I'm sure this is a condition elsewhere, but one thing I, I think about a lot is how it's considered in fan circles, especially very mm-hmm. uncouth to if you see something and it's not, I'll be honest, if, if I'm playing, you know, if let's say I'm streaming a game and it's racist, it's considered kind of uncouth to bring that up how do you bring it up and then especially if you're white like you it's like a lot of other people will be like oh you're bringing politics into this by bringing up that this game which is racist is racist even if it's the truth and it's a very yes. sticky thing because because in america the discussion on it's on race is just it's fucked obviously and and it's hard to just be honest about that and navigate that while also navigating autism where there are times where I will say something inappropriate, like, you know, like, and, and it is inappropriate in a way that I'm like, yeah, that is inappropriate. I, sh- I should probably speak to that person privately about this issue I'm having. Cause that sometimes happens. It should not be thing brought up in public, but other things, you know, there's a very arbitrary line about what's acceptable to discuss and what's forbidden. And sometimes what's forbidden should not be forbidden to discuss. Of course. It's funny you do bring up the issue of discussion with race here because, well, this will probably date the episode, but recently in Britain, our prime minister has said that he's caught COVID-19, the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. and he is somebody who on many, many occasions in this country has been caught out saying absolutely incredibly awful things can, you know, are most definitely racist or also incredibly homophobic as well. And people take more offense to the accusation of saying that something is racist or homophobic rather than the actual act itself. So it's this frustrating moving of the goalposts Mm -hmm. where you never feel like you're able to actually get a firm grasp of anything 
or that people have really listened to you. And in some cases, that is also, it can be quite disheartening to deal with at times. And the other thing I wanted to bring up as well, as you said about not fitting in, is there's a quote from, I think it's Kim Gordon, who's in Sonic Youth, Mm. who said something about the thing with not being able to fit in or dealing with grey area is that that's actually a strength of a person. But the thing is, nobody ever tells you that that's actually a positive quality. God, that's that's so true, though. And I'm, I'm thinking on that, and I'm like, yeah, because like my my mom, like, oh God, I, I I was always in high school. I was friends with like a lot of the 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 people who would you know the the misfits and stuff like that. We all would kind of just be friends with mm-hmm. one another because we didn't fit in, and you know sometimes it's just. Sometimes if, if if we live, sorry to sound like the Joker, but if we live in a society where um, <laughs> the things that are acceptable to do can be very cruel, like say, mm-hmm. you know, the way we, we can, tr- the way we treat, let's just, let's the way that we treat, you know, uh, the way that uh, in America, at least you can, if you're autistic, uh, you can be put lower on the list of receiving, you know, an organ donation because you're not seen as being more of a part of society. Well, who wants to live it? Who wants to fit into a society like that? Who wants to fit in to a society so yeah. cruel? And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. It for like, we, I love history and I, I am a history nerd and we've as a species have had so many societies, so many ways to live. And it doesn't have to be, as cruel, as as sickening, as racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, all the bigotry. It doesn't have to be like this. And it is not like there is a historical precedent for, like, there's been cruelty throughout societies, to be sure, but it doesn't, it's not a given. It's not a given that humans interacting right. and forming society with one another has to be like this. It doesn't. And of course, yeah, of course, I think that's a fantastic point. And also interesting to bring on to my um, next point here. As you said, you're currently living in Texas, mm-hmm. but you're originally from California, right? Yeah, I'm from Southern California. Uh, I'm from the Inland Empire, which is a kind of suburb of a... <laughs> it's like in where the old orange groves used to be uh, near LA. It's considered a suburb of, of LA, but it is like an hour away from LA, so not really. <laughs> Okay. The reason I bring that up is because I know for me as an autistic person, one thing I definitely do not deal with very, very well is change. Ah, same. (laughs) Change is incredibly difficult. Even certain minor things that have been moved about or whatever, it takes me a while to get used to because it sometimes feels like the entire ground has shifted on me. So I'm curious to ask, moving from California to Texas, have you noticed any kind of real differences for you as an autistic person? And how has that changed for you, say, initially and over time you became, say, one of the community as such? That is an excellent question. Um, I also don't deal with change well, which is why I'm very, very grateful for my shout out. Mara, if you're listening to this podcast in the future, thank you for being very patient as I, as I deal with the changes of y'all working from home. You're an angel. Thank you. Um, but no, I, with COVID stuff, I've, I've had that on my mind. And 
I would say the the weather was difficult. The weather is much worse in Texas. It's hot. It's swampy. I do not like the swampiness of Texas. Boo, thumbs down. Um, but the weirdest, the biggest change, the biggest, biggest change I had uh, moving from Southern California to Texas is that, of course, Southern California, California has that reputation of being a bunch of hippy-dippy type of you know, everyone gets along. No one's bigoted. It's a big paradise. And Texas is the big, bad, bigoted, racist, every, you know, stuff. And, and of course, you know, te- if you look at Texas, yes, we are that kind of state. But I found something very interesting. When I lived in Southern California, especially in the 90s, there was a lot of anti-gang rhetoric that was just it was just racism basically and a lot of a lot of that stuff was real racist and but a lot of people who consider themselves not racist would repeat very racist things and still be considered to be not racist when i moved to texas i noticed that people who were racist or bigoted or any of those sort of things they wouldn't hem and haw about it they would be very open about it while people who weren't bigoted Unlike in California, where you would, you know, talk to someone, they'd say they weren't bigoted, and then all of a sudden the most bigoted thing would come out of their mouth. That happened a lot less in Texas. What People's character seemed very much more, there was a lot less hiding of people's beliefs. I found way more people in Texas who were much more serious and much more skilled in their anti-bigotry work, in, in their work. They were very serious and about it, and it seemed less like, an identity they were taking and more of an ideal they were living. And that was weirdly enough, the biggest change I've seen from living in the Southern California and California in general than than living here. I've lived in Austin. I've lived in Houston. I've lived in the, uh, the Rosenberg Richmond area, which is kind of a, a, a poor suburb of Houston. Uh, it's in Fort Bend County. And the biggest change I saw was that People who, if if someone, you know, you didn't have to really, you know, if someone said that they believed that inequality, if you talk to them, you could bring, they, they wouldn't wishy-washy around certain subjects. They wouldn't be like, well, I mean, I'm okay with gay people, but I don't know if I'd want one teaching my kid, which is something you would hear a lot from quote unquote liberals in California. While in Texas, if someone was like, yeah, I don't care if a gay person teaches my kid, who gives a shit? Very much very different. And I don't know if that's because time has changed things. Cause again, I lived there from like, uh, when I was born in 83 to 2005 and I live in Texas from 2005 to now, I don't know if it's cause times have changed, but it really just feels the biggest, biggest change was that in Texas, people were more open with how they, they believed. And mm-hmm. you would find out very quickly if someone was, you know, someone you didn't want to be around or talk with compared to say California, where a lot of that is hidden. It feels like. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think especially as an autistic person, you probably get a better sense of where everything is because sometimes, I guess in a city like California and somewhere like London, sometimes you do kind of go through this flux where you do feel like you have to follow all the rules at all times and it's kind of suffocating. And then at the same time, it's it's like you're constantly in flux, whereas in a place like that, it in a way, it sounds from your description almost kind of liberating that you know exactly where everything is. And I take mm-hmm. from the people who have done 
their activist work or in terms of people who have been working with disabilities and stuff, it seems like they're more willing to engage. Yes, yes. I've I've actually found that I found that a lot of in California, a lot of activism feels very quote unquote activism where it's very much like this is just a lifestyle to me. This is like an aesthetic while in Texas, Houston, Austin, other places, people who call themselves activists or politically minded are extremely they are They very much live their truth and is someone who's very much I is I guess it's an autistic way where. I'm like, how can you believe this and not act it out? You say you believe this, but you're not living what you say you believe. It's nice mm-hmm. with living in the South and Texas, people will say what they believe and they will act that out through their activism, through their work. It's there's it's mutual aid type of things in in the South, I found, are very much more like direct. There is no wishy-washiness to it. If you need something, your neighbor will be like, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, because that's funny enough, that's something that's been coming up recently in Britain as a part of the virus is there's been a lot of reports of people in Britain calling up the police for any old reason, sometimes two times a day for like mm-hmm. any old inconvenience. They decide, oh, we need to report this because this is a crime. And it's like, why are you doing this? What's the point? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that whole, uh, you know, the whole, uh, uh, God, here in here in America, we definitely have a problem with that in the suburbs with people calling the cops on anything, especially white suburbanites calling the cops on black people for things like having a barbecue and stuff. It's, it's frustrating. And again, I guess part of, and the, you know, that, that happens here too, but it's, it's nice. It's it, in, uh, when I was living in Houston and stuff, there was a lot of, because it's a very, very diverse city, which I, it was, I, I am what you would call a stand for Houston. I, I <laughs> love that city so much. I would live there again if I could just beautiful city. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's in Texas, at least, you know, like that it happens and it's bad, but you are less likely to see someone who is like in California, I would I know people who would consider themselves anti-racist who absolutely would in a heartbeat call the cops on loud neighbors instead of just like talking to them mm-hmm. and not realizing this, you know, the implications of that. While here in, in Texas, like it seems like if someone is, you know, if you talk to someone who says that they're anti-racist or whatever mm-hmm. and they hear loud music and they're more they're like, I'm not going to call the cops. I'm just going to talk to my neighbor or bear with it because I don't want to risk, you know, in case, cause we're in the South, the cops do pull some shit. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the person responsible for that. There's a lot more. It feels in the South. You, you have to, because of the circumstances and because unlike in California, where there is a veneer mm-hmm. of everything being fine and not bigoted in Texas, you are fully aware of how bigoted the society is around you. And it feels like, you can be more literal about living your truth. Like, well, if I know that calling the cops can lead to danger to people, I am not going to do that. And I'm going to just bear with shit. Mm-hmm. Unlike maybe in somewhere like the suburbs where it sometimes people can mm-hmm. be very out of sight, out of mind in terms of the issues going on in their local areas. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like if you're conscientious in an autistic way, I take things very literally. So my conscientiousness is very much like, oh, no, if I know cops are going to hurt someone, I'm not going to I am. It's going to be a dire situation for me to call them. It feels like in the South, that's just kind of it's it's more understood because it is so mm-hmm. present. Yeah. 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 I've got something else I'd like to talk about. 
So I'm going to get into a little bit of um, relationship and work chatter. So mm-hmm. as a streamer and somebody who has not only in a partnership with somebody in terms of streaming, but I think is one of the rare instances of people being in an actual relationship with somebody. I'm curious, sorry, Danny, I'm going to have to be the guy to ask, but I'm curious to know <laughs> him as your your husband, how has he taken to, in terms of you dealing with your disabilities and also, as well as, I guess you could say your transness, but also, I mean, you two both work at home and you've mentioned your psychiatrist more than once. So I imagine mm-hmm. you've probably brought that factor up. So mm-hmm. what's all that like? for you because I think you're in quite a rare space where there's still quite a lot of autistic people who some of them feel they can do it or because they're forced to they have to go and do a nine to five Mm -hmm. day in and day out so I was curious to know what's that like for you and also working with your husband and everything like that that's a great question um Danny has his entire life worked uh, done. He's a video game journalist, so he's worked freelance stuff for most of his life. So he's never kind of worked a nine to five like that. And I, I have in the past and I can't because, again, physical disability came in. So he is very understanding of me working and I'll say alternate type job with him because he's also worked okay. a lot of those. So. That's that's actually not the that's that's luckily he is very cool about that. I have definitely dated people who in the past who are not cool with me not only being able to really work at home jobs without because I have in the past worked a lot of retail and I used to be okay at it. But it feels like as I get older, the more pronounced some of my symptoms of autism become some of my traits become a little bit more whatever. I know that some people it gets easier. Some people it gets you know more difficult for me. It, it They become stronger and. I have had, just to be blunt about it, I've been multiple times, like four times in my life, I've been to the, I've been institutionalized at a mental hospital because I have what I now understand to be, um, so I know some folks don't like the term meltdown, but I don't know how else to describe it. I would just, I would just lose it. I would just become so burnt out. I would have get bad autistic burnout as I now know it. it's called. Mm-hmm. And I would have to be hospitalized. I haven't had to have... I haven't been that burnt out ever since I started working from home, doing the streaming because it's a job I can do. And Danny is very understanding. He is very, because we've known each other for, you know, since again, 2002, 2003, 2004. And no, we've just, because we're on such like a same wavelength kind of, it's very much like we're best friends who also are married, which is a wonderful, wonderful situation to be in. And mm-hmm. he's always, no, nah, he's been understanding. And there, there have been times where, you know, there's conflict because it's not, that's just, there's going to be conflict between any humans, just that's like it can be sometimes. And he has been very open and honest with me. And, you know, if it's, it, it's, that's what makes it work. That's what's always made it kind of work in our relationship is that I am, um, and it's hard sometimes. It's hard to be open and honest with, you know, your traits and your stuff with your husband, not because he's a, a person who has been weird about it, but because just, I mean, all the societal cues you get from society are that I can't bring these things up. I need to swallow it and just be da, 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 da. And that's bullshit. Sorry. It's bullshit. Um, you, it is being open and honest with your partner is just 
the key to make, I mean, it sounds like a stereotype, but it, even if you're autistic and stuff, it's the key to making things work. And Danny has always been very understanding. We've definitely had conflict sometimes, but because like, I will, you know, like, I just, I just, I just sometimes will be missed. Cause one thing I will do is I can misread people sometimes just, I think that's just something some autistic people do. And that can be, yeah. you know, that, that happens. That happens. I'll read someone is upset when they're not. And no one likes to, and that has other issues why I do that as well. And, and that can be, of course, no one wants to be told that they're upset when they're not upset because they're not upset. That's the, you know, it's a literal thing. And he's, cool. and we've had conflict about it, but we've talked it out. We've, you know, that, and that's, and we've discussed it and no, it's, he's always been very open to listen, open to understanding. And when he doesn't understand, he will just, you know, take some time and then talk to me. And no, he's always been very good about that kind of thing. And I am extremely grateful to have him in my life. It is sometimes it feels shocking to me how much he can be on that same sort of wavelength and be okay with the different needs that I have. Like I need a lot of alone time and stuff like that. And he's okay. He's okay with a lot of things that I need. And my roommate is too. Bless her. She is, she's very cool. And I feel very lucky because he's great. I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be like my husband is, is the perfect human being. No human is perfect, but he is willing to listen. And if he doesn't understand, he's willing to understand. And coming out to him was easier than I thought it was going to be. He got it. He understood. But to be fair, I probably would have come out. Like I, I also think that it was not a big surprise to him or a lot of my friends when I came out as trans and stuff. So um, yeah, he was, he was, he was very okay with that. And he was just like, yeah, okay. And yeah, he is a very, he's a very easygoing guy in general. And because he also, has like an alternative freelancer job type thing where he works from home. And because he's also at home a lot and stuff like that, it's actually made, I think it easier for him to understand me to understand that. Like, you know, like my last, I I did date someone at one point who was very upset that I was not on disability and in America. And I'm sure it's the same way in, in, in the UK and other countries, but it's very, very difficult to get on disability, especially if at any time mm-hmm. you've worked, because there's an assumption that, well, you've worked before, thusly you can work now. And so you're not getting any access to any help. And there's it's hard. Yeah. And in yeah. the past, because I haven't been able to work and I haven't been able to get access to help, I've had pre- that be a strain on the relationship and previous partners be very not understanding and sometimes uh, abusive about it. Well, Danny, because he has worked these kind of jobs and he's very, basically Danny understands what it's like to be poor. And we have a lot of (laughs) class. No, it's, it's like, we have a lot of class solidarity and we have a lot of like, you know, yeah. Understanding in that way. Of course. I think all that is really incredible to hear and also really heartwarming because I do think you could probably understand that getting into a relationship and knowing how to manage it is for autistic people. Sometimes it feels like you have to put in 10 or 20 times more effort because you're just not equipped with Mm -hmm. recognizing certain cues or taking things on board the same way, say, a neurotypical might do. And that can be stressful because there's always the question. It's 
My friend Seamus once compared it to like being in a permanent state of did you leave the gas on? Yeah, yeah. You're always kind of worried about second guessing yourself or was this the right thing to do or was this the wrong thing to do? So I think that's just genuinely quite inspiring to get to hear about that and to hear that you have somebody in your life who is so patient and willing to take time and willing to give you your space and was just whatever when you came out to him and understood where things were coming from for you and everything and that's that's genuine I think for some of our listeners that would be this is genuinely something that they can keep in their hearts like yeah this can it can work for me it's definitely out there so thank you for that oh oh, no no problem and it's like it's not like like, you know, I, I think that if if you're, you know, autistic and you're going into a relationship, it's also okay to understand and acknowledge that your relationship may not look like what a typical neurotypical relationship looks like, too. And, mm-hmm. and you know, especially because, you know, a lot of autistic people who I've known and, care, and cared about, a lot of them are asexual. And that may be something you have to discuss. There are other things you may have to, you know, bring up. But I, I, I found that if you find someone who is just chill with you being, and I mean this in a nice way, cause I, I do not see it as a derivative thing. If they're cool with you being a weirdo in a lot of ways, not just autistic, but other things, then, you know, mm. it's okay to just, you know, if you're in a relationship with them, just, just be honest and open and under, and not what I found that helps is the more I wanted to model my relationships after you know, neurotypical relationships and the way those worked, the more I kept getting into worse, abusive crap relationships. And when I started to recognize that the relationships I have, even though they may not look exact and play out exactly as neurotypical marriages, relationships, friendships, et cetera, that doesn't make them any less valid and any less of a relationship or a healthy one. And I brought it up, you know, cause I, I worry, I'm like, is it, you know, because I have a different type of relationship or, or marriage and it doesn't look like a neurotypical one. Is it a bad marriage? Is it, an, you know, but every time they're like, you both seem very happy and healthy. I don't, it's fine. Even though it, it may not be, you know, even though it doesn't go one-on-one with what we, what society sees as neurotypical relationship should be. I think that, I don't think it that should matter. I think that no. Yeah, well, the sign of a healthy relationship is are you healthy basically? Are you are, yeah. you, are do you do you consider each other's feelings? Do you consider what the other person needs? Do you do you do you take care of each other? Are you happy? And sometimes a happy mm-hmm. relationship isn't going to look like a TV marriage or your, you know, or a Facebook marriage where you're just constantly posting like, I love my husband or whatever, even if you love your husband a lot, because I don't, I'm not super mm-hmm. great about a lot of super public expressions. And I, I'm very, pri- I'm, he and I are very private people about relationship stuff. But I, I find that once I stopped wanting to have a neurotypical marriage, and once I understood that my marriage and the way we do it is going to look different. I became a lot happier and a lot more at ease. And yeah. That concludes the first half of my interview with Alex of the Retro Pals. And part two should be arriving very shortly. 
We hope you enjoyed the episode, and till next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like to stay in touch with us, you can check out our website at www.audibleautism.com for links to things discussed in the episode and for our back archive. You can subscribe to us on most podcast distribution platforms, including iTunes. Just search for Audible Autism. This podcast is part of a larger project, The Autistic Empire, which is aiming to create an autistic community centered around our interests as autistic people. You can check us out at www.autisticempire.com. We post all of Audible Autism's episodes to our Autistic Empire channels, so you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and we're even on Pinterest. Just search Autistic Empire to receive news and updates. We also have a forum where enrolled citizens can discuss the latest episodes and other issues of interest to autistic people, so do check that out as well. If you have any questions or would like to get in touch with us to be on a future episode of Audible Autism, you can always email us at team at audibleautism.com. Thank you for listening.